Father, we come before you and there's so many questions that we would have in this life where we came from what is right, what is wrong, and the questions of why, why do bad things happen to what we call good people and where we're going when we die. But Father, you don't give us all the answers. You give us enough. And I pray that you would give us enough insight as to why people take off, why they abandon the faith, what is going on with that, and the rest that Paul wrote to Timothy. I pray that you'd fill us with wisdom as we go through these pages. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what Charles Templeton experienced is something that is going to be rampant, even more so than today, in the latter times. Now, we are living, are living in the latter times, and the latter times are going to accelerate as far as the evil that is concerned and carried out in this country and around the world. In First Timothy chapter 4, the Spirit has talked about this, and he says it clearly. He makes a statement that Paul communicates to us. He says, the Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith. Now, some would talk about losing your salvation, not losing your salvation. I think it's referring to the faith as an entity or orthodox Christianity. The definite article is used here in the Greek. The is the definite article. If you used a faith, that would be the indefinite article. But in the Greek, it's the faith. And so it's the faith that we all share in Christ or orthodox doctrine, Christianity, all of that. There's two words that are used. In the Greek, one is apo, and the other one is histemi. Uh, the the uh, word that is used here is to walk away from that which stays, like uh, histamine. You know what histamine is. When you have the histamine going on in your sinuses, you get all blocked up. So you take an antihistamine, or it goes away. It's no longer blocked. And that's what's being referred to here as abandoning the faith of going away or removing that which remains, um, abandoning the faith or apostatizing, going away from what you have been taught. Now, as I just previously mentioned, some would say this is losing your faith. I don't think that is the case. I think that somebody who has truly accepted Jesus Christ is secure in their foundation, in their salvation and the foundation that they have. Whether they backslide or not, I think that they are still secure. Once you were saved, I believe you were always saved. Those who were genuinely given their heart to Christ. <clears throat> now, how can we discern who is saved and who isn't saved? Well, we have a pretty good idea of those who stay with the faith. Charles Templeton, he did not stay with the faith. I don't know that he was ever saved. Uh, he had an experience, and if you take the parables of the sower of the seed, the uh, kingdom parables, the sower of the seed has four different kinds of seed that are put in four different kinds of soils. Three soils reject that. Two of them seem to germinate, but they don't produce fruit. And the last one, it produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 times that which is sown. And so there's only one category of those who are saved, but there are two categories of those who remain in the church for a long period of time or remain in the faith, so to speak. And those who receive Jesus Christ, they get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing those things which are 
are to come. And we are given uh, a testimony of this three times in Scripture, 2 Corinthians one twenty two, Second 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who believe as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. And so for those who walk away from the faith who have been here for a long time or been in, quote-unquote, the faith, I just happen to hold that they really never were saved. Uh, we know also from the parables of the kingdom that there is a, a seed that's planted in the ground and it becomes the greatest of all the herbs in the garden and the birds come and land in its branches. We know that the wheat and the tares, they grow together inside the church and the weeds are taken and they are burned uh, first and then the those who remain, they are gathered together to be with the Lord and meet the Lord in the air and they are taken on into eternity. So both of those exist together and we cannot tell who is saved and who is not saved. But somebody who falls into this category, somebody who apostatizes, doesn't necessarily leave the church. They may stay inside. They may stay inside because they love the people. They hate the doctrine, but they love the people. We've had people come through this church that have had a little bit strange doctrine. I've been, for instance, I've been accused of teaching a secret rapture. It's secret. Well, I was talking about it, so it wasn't really secret. And it's in Scripture, so I was teaching what was in Scripture, but that particular view was held. And there's other doctrinal views that people have held that come through the church and even currently hold. Uh, When I was teaching the first time root development, about angels and demons. I took a survey ahead of time. There were about 30 people in the class. And I took a survey and asked, how many of you believe that we become angels when we die? was one of the questions. And 33% of the people thought we did. And that's of those inside the church that were wanting to know more about God. I was glad I was able to correct that. We don't become angels. We're not... uh, What's the guy's name? And it's a wonderful life. He he gets the bells rung and he gets his wings. What, What is it? Clarence, that's right. It's Clarence, and he gets his wings. Well, we don't get wings. Uh, That's not in Scripture. And so we know that there are going to be those who abandon, quote, the faith. Most of them will leave the church, but not all of them. They will remain in the church. Like I said, it could be for the love of the people. It could be because they maintain a position of power. There are all kinds of teachers out there who claim, claim to follow Christ and be Christians, but they give false doctrine. All you have to do is turn on the television and see the televangelists who are out there. They spew out uh, doctrine that is certainly doctrine of demons. And that would lead us to the second part of that first verse. And it says, and, the fo- and they follow deceiving spirits. So let me read the whole thing. The Spirit clearly says in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Now those deceiving spirits could work in the people who remain in the church who have apostatized and they have new doctrine, new doctrine that they want to give. Now this has happened over and over and over inside the church. One of the first heresies inside the church was a Gnostic heresy that Jesus could not be human. We think, well, he 
the one heresy is he's not divine. Well, the first one was he was not human because anything that is spiritual is perfect and everything in this world is corrupted. Therefore, God could not become a corrupted individual. And so that was the first heresy inside the church. And the next one was that he was not God in human form, that he was only human and he was more God-like, but he was not God. And so those heresies have been around from the very beginning and they even exist until today now these deceiving spirits those who listen to them who follow them they will listen to everyone and everything except for god's holy spirit now how do you know if a doctrine is false well first you know the scriptures and if you go to the scriptures and i'm going to give you a wild example for instance if the scriptures say never enter a rowboat and somebody comes in and says, you should enter a rowboat. It's freeing. It's not really what he meant to say, not entering a rowboat. I want you to get in a rowboat, and I want you to grab the oars, and I want you to see how fulfilling it is because you can go from one place to the other. Now, that's a ridiculous example, but you get the idea. If Scripture says, don't, then we don't preach, do. If the Scripture says, refrain from sinful behavior, and somebody says, well, that's not what it means. We follow the antinomian way where you can indulge in anything because God will forgive you. The free grace movement, uh, which is out there. And by the way, I think that had its roots with Anne Hutchinson in the book, uh, The Light and the Glory. Uh, her, along with uh, Pastor Cotton, John Cotton, I think was his name, they were teaching that, once you are saved, that's it. And it, it morphed into this free grace movement. Now, I believe that we are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourself. Is it, a gift? it is a gift to God, not by works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2.8. <clears throat> but there is this view that you can do whatever you want to after you get saved, quote, and God will still save you. Of course, that flies in the face of... Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, it is not true and those people are not genuinely saved. And there are people who would say, for instance, there are many ways to God. If you guys remember the 1959 film, you guys were alive then, you were nice and old at that time. The 1959 film called Ben-Hur. Now I love the movie Ben-Hur. I like Charlton Heston. He is a man's man. He's in there rowing and he's just, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. And, you know, he was the president of the NRA and all of that. He's a man's man. John Wayne, same thing. He was a man's man. <clears throat> well, he's in that movie and he's talking to Balthasar. And Balthasar was in a tent with Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur, and he was in there with also this Arab guy who owned the horses who would ride the Hippodrome. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, you should see the movie. It's a good movie. It's really a movie about Christ and Ben-Hur getting saved, and you never see the face of Christ. You only see him in the distance. But Charlton Heston gets saved, and he takes his anger, and it just goes away. But as he's talking in this tent with the Arab owner of the horses and Balthasar and Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur is there. Balthasar turns to him and says, there are many paths to God. And you know, when I saw that the first time, and I think he says it a second time when Jesus is in the distance, I think Balthasar is there and he, I think he tells him the same thing in the movie. But it's this view that there are spokes and they all lead to the hub. Whatever religion you're in, you can just go in towards the hub. And that is false doctrine. That's a doctrine of demons. Anybody who teaches that 
is teaching a doctrine of a demon. Here's somebody you might know. I'll tell you their name after I read this. It says, there are millions of ways to be a human being and many paths to what you call God. Well, I am a Christian who believes that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. That would be the wonderful, wise, sage Oprah Winfrey who said that. There are many paths to God and how many people listened to her and bought into what she says. Now, that is a doctrine of a demon. She is teaching what the enemy of Christ would be teaching. There is only one way. Jesus Christ is the way. No one comes to the Father, as Jesus said, except by me. And he was referring to himself. And so there's no other path. But people who follow demons, who follow other spirits, they would say, oh, this is okay, this is acceptable. And then, of course, there was the ultimate deceiving spirit in Genesis chapter 3. It was called the serpent there. It says now the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat of the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. <clears throat> you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Of course, he's contradicting God here. For God knows that when you eat it or of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Or you'll be like us, you know, you'll be like me and you'll know the good and the bad and that's okay, that's good. You'll be filled with wisdom and more insight. You'll know these things. You'll gain knowledge. And of course, she was deceived in that. And this particular verse goes on to say, and following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now in context... There are two doctrines of demons that are listed here. That they are not to be followed, but a demon would teach them. Number one is they forbid people to marry. And number two, they order them or people to abstain from certain foods. Now, you might think, well, that's ridiculous today. People telling other people not to marry. I want to show you something. What does the Bible say about staying single? Now, I didn't write this, just in case you're interested. I'm not a single man. I got this back in the 90s. This was at a men's conference up in Anaheim, at the Anaheim Convention Center, right across from Disneyland. And there was a guy out front, and he let everybody know that he was, quote, Bobby Bible. And Bobby Bible was passing these things out because it was a men's conference. He wanted all the men to be single, Now, this is a Calvary Chapel conference. He didn't stand a chance because we go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. But he passed this out, and of course, I'm sure he knew that we have that expository teaching and preaching uh, that we go through the Bible. And so he provided several verses. Now, I have verses in here that promote being single, and I'm going to read them to you. Here we go. This is Matthew chapter 19. Verses 10 through 12, I'll only read excerpts. It says here, it is not good to marry. The next one is in that same set. And there be eunuchs, and this is King James, by the way. There be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. 
Okay, that's the first one. Second one, Proverbs 31, 3, give not thy strength unto women. Jeremiah 16, 1 through 4, thou shalt not take thee a wife. Matthew 19, 27 through 29, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 33, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, but he that is married careth for the things of the world. 1 Corinthians seven thirty five, attend upon the Lord without distraction. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I am. And there's more. He has more. Now, if this is all you had as far as the verses are concerned in the Bible to remain single, we should remain single. It seems like that would be a good thing. The only problem is you have other scriptures like Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helpmate suitable for him. Somebody that can come alongside that would be his companion. And a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Not his friend, his brother in the Lord, and go out there and do the work of the Lord. And so this guy had a particular view, and he was asked the question, you know, there's probably 50 guys standing around this guy as he's trying to preach on the little grass knoll to tell everybody to remain single. And one guy said, I have a question. What if we're married? Do we leave our wives? And he basically said, yes, leave your wives and we're and you know, at that point everybody just kind of threw their hands up and some guys turned around and said don't even listen to this guy this guy's a heretic he stood no chance whatsoever uh in that particular meeting that was there but i i would tell you these things are still around there are people that talk like this and hold to these this is this guy was promoting a doctrine of a demon Telling people not to marry. Now, the next one he lists here is to abstain from certain foods. Now, this would especially apply to the Judaizers who would say you need to follow the diet in the Old Testament. For instance, those who would teach that God is pleased if you do not eat bacon or baby back ribs are actually teaching a doctrine of a demon. Now, you can say, get thee behind me, Satan, when you have the bacon in front of you. You can be a baconator. It's okay if you want to have lobster, if you want to have shellfish, all of those things. And somebody comes along and says, you know, God would prefer that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that you don't put things foreign like this inside your body and you'd be more holy after that. You could easily say and be correct in saying so, get thee behind me, Satan, because that is a doctrine of a demon. And those people who are promoting the Old Testament diet, and say you should follow that in order to be pleasing to God are promoting a doctrine of a demon. And there are vegetarians out there who are Christians and some would say, I'm just doing this because I feel it's more healthy for me. Well, God bless you. Eat all those carrots and Brussels sprouts and broccoli and asparagus that you can possibly handle and mushrooms and leeks and onions and all of that. You just participate in that. That's good. But if they say... This is more pleasing to God. Reject what they have to say. And error begets error. So they're probably wrong in a few other areas as well. And you just want to be discerning for that type of person who would come along. God says that all food is acceptable. 
He says, that which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. And so uh, Colossians 2.16 says, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality however is found in Christ so those who are Seventh-day Adventists I've gone from their aberrant in their teaching to probably their heretical in their teaching to probably their occult and the Seventh-day Adventists would tell you that uh, those who meet on Sunday or the first day of the week they are sinning because they're not keeping the Sabbath well the Sabbath it clearly says and I think it's in Exodus 31 the Sabbath was clearly meant for those under the Mosaic law We are not under the Sabbath, and in the book of Hebrews it says, we have entered our Sabbath day's rest. Jesus is our Sabbath day's rest. And so that would be another doctrine that would be an error. If you take any of the covenant of the Old Testament, the ceremonial laws, and try to impose them in the New Testament and be like the Judaizers, those are are doctrines of demons. Now, I want to uh, digress just a little bit on this doctrine of demons. I was doing some research in this. What are the doctrines of demons? And I listened to a few messages on it and what the guys had to say. And none of them focused on the diet and the forbidding to marry. They focused on other doctrines of demons. And that's okay, but I want to make sure we get the context of what the actual passage is saying. The forbidding to marry and the diet needs to be focused on. But there are other destructive heresies according to Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. For instance, denying the sovereign Lord, that Jesus is Lord. Now, all of us should have two or three scriptures memorized as to the deity of Christ. Now, at least three or four times a year, I give you deity scriptures. I didn't know Jesus was God when I first got saved. All I know is I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to the rapture. And I found out who Jesus was a little later as I did some Bible study. Now, John 1, 1, if you interpret that properly in in conjunction with Genesis chapter 1, we know that Jesus was the Logos, the creative force that was um, acting in the Old Testament at creation. I just call him a force, quote-unquote, not like the force in Star Wars. He was the agent in which everything was created through the command of the Father by the agency of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. So John 1, 1 is good. And then you can have uh, Romans 9, 5, for theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all forever praised. Amen. Titus 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.20 and 21, he is the true God and the eternal life. And, and there are several more. I think it's uh, Colossians 2.9. Uh, he is the image of the, the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, he is the exact representation of deity in bodily form. We, we want to make sure that we have these down because all the cults, All the false religions will deny that he is in fact God. And this is one of the things, the destructive heresies that Peter points out that was being perpetrated back then and it is still in force today. 
Uh, I, uh, John twenty twenty eight. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. So all of those scriptures deal with the deity of Christ. And those aren't even the peripheral ones. Like there's only one Savior, but Jesus is called Savior. Uh, Jesus calls himself the I am, the first and the last. All of those things. You could go through and do a Bible study on that. And all those are references to the Old Testament. He claims to be the God of the Old Testament. There's also those who would bring the way of truth into disrepute. They would make up stories, so to speak. And all of these destructive heresies would be originating from those who listen to deceiving spirits who teach doctrines of demons. And they are just about everywhere out there. So there are other demonic doctrines which we can point to in Scripture. It's not just the diet. It's just not just the marrying. It's the denying of Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord and the disputing about doctrines. The essential doctrines should never be disputed. Jesus is God. He came to die for us. He is God's lamb. He is the one that took away our sin. It is his blood that enables us to be saved. He went away to sit at the right hand of the Father. He's coming back to be with us or take us to be with him, John chapter 14. And then he's coming back to earth, his return, his second advent. All of those things are non-negotiables. If somebody wants to uh, violate those and not hold to those, then we're going to separate fellowship. We're not even going to consider them Christian, we're going to consider them a cult. Now, how do they teach these things? How do they, how does somebody come into a, tr- a church and start teaching these destructive heresies? Well, first, they do it secretly. They don't do it in the open. I mentioned before Ann Hutchinson and the minister, John Cotton. Ann Hutchinson, what she would do is she befriended John Cotton. And, of course, it made his ego feel good. Everybody, most people didn't like Pastor John Cotton, the things that he was saying. But she kind of came up beside him, and then she would start ministering. She was a healer, so to speak, like a nurse. And she would come in and minister to people that needed help. And also, she would be a midwife, and she'd help deliver babies is what she would do. And then she would talk to the women about this doctrine. So she started with the women. She would convince them of the particular doctrine. And by the way, I I don't know that I disagree with everything that she taught. Uh, The Puritans had this uh, salvation by works doctrine that they really pushed, and she was standing against that. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what Scripture says. And so I'm wholeheartedly behind that. But there were some other ones that I'm going, (laughs) I don't know, that's not so good. And you can look them up. There's a list of doctrines that she was asked to either affirm or denounce. And she went on trial, and she eventually got killed by Indians, her and her family. And the Puritans said, well, see, that was a judgment by God. She died because of the savages. But anyhow, she was teaching these women first, and then she started inviting a few people to her home, and she would instruct them in her home. Then she started preaching for a year. She would go out and preach. And then, of course, the Puritan ministers, those who were in charge, they got involved, and she was brought to trial, and, of course, she was... Uh, told that she was uh, not accepted anymore and she was excommunicated. But how she did it was first secretly. She kind of dove in there, grabbed one person. And somebody who does this, they analyze who knows the scripture and who doesn't. Who can I start with and talk to them about this and then move on and just kind of have you guys ever seen an earthworm move? I just picked one up out of the sidewalk the other day. It was out here. It's poor thing. It's just squirming around. And I go, oh, poor little worm. And I put it back into the 
grass and be free, you know, and go back in the ground. And how did it move? It's just, you know, worming like this. You know how a worm moves? That's how somebody does, does it inside of the church. They just kind of worm their way in to weak-willed individuals. Oh, oh okay, oh, that sounds good to me. Yeah, let's, let's get on this bandwagon, so to speak. And that becomes a bandwagon fallacy, and that's, that's how they do it. And then they get to know the people. They become trustworthy in the eyes of the people. They do test the waters, and then they don't reveal too much. They just give a little bit at a time before they go full boat and say what they believe and cause the controversy and the destructive heresy to run its way through the church, just as Anne Hutchinson did. So you can recognize that. If somebody comes up to you, and by the way, if you're walking with the Lord, the Lord has given you discernment. And you can tell if a doctrine is a bad doctrine or if it's a good doctrine. Now, there's some doctrines that are controversial that are non-essential, and that's okay. We can talk about those all day. If you have two people in a room, you could have at least three opinions. And that's okay. We can talk about those non-essentials and still be in fellowship. But anyhow, that's what Anne did, and that's how somebody gets inside the church and worms their way in. And then, as I previously mentioned, there is the denial of the deity or the humanity of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that somebody with a destructive heresy will introduce and then being saved by works. Now, cults will do this. And some uh, churches will even teach this to a degree that you have to do a work of faith. Uh, For instance, the Church of Christ will teach that you have to be baptized in a particular manner in water and at that time you receive the baptism of the holy spirit and you have to be baptized in the name of jesus only and if you're not if you don't perform that work of faith then you will not be saved baptism is not a condition for salvation it is an act of obedience and christ calls us all to be obedient i would question the person's walk if they refuse (coughs) to get baptized but it is not a condition for salvation now thinking salvation is that somebody has is secure while believing it's acceptable to yield to the corrupt passions of the flesh and live a careless life for instance the person who says i'm a believer in christ i go to church every sunday but you know i love drugs and alcohol and i'm gonna take those and god will forgive me if something is wrong but i need it you know for whatever reason by the way i'm not referring to a doctor's prescription now that can be abused but if the doctor says this is what you need to be on god provided it for us doctors to give us wisdom and there's always abuse that can take place but i'm not referring to that i'm referring to the person who just chooses to go off with the alcohol or the drugs or the profligate living or the homosexuality or living with somebody who is not their spouse those types of things if somebody says god will forgive me for that doubt that they're even saved if they say that now if they're struggling with the sin that's another thing altogether galatians chapter 6 verse 1 said those who are spiritual should restore those who are caught in a sin so we want to make sure we're giving accurate definitions as to what it means to live a profligate life or follow the corrupt passions and then there's the thinking salvation is secure while hating your brother if anyone in here hates somebody else maybe they did you wrong and did you wrong in a bad way and you just harbor this hate on the inside 
Scripture clearly tells us that you cannot hate somebody and claim to love God. First John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So that's clear. There, there's no ambiguity there. It's not a nebulous fact that is there. If you know somebody who said, I hate them, and you can tell it's just a visceral passion that is on the inside, you need to correct them if they're a believer. Say, you know, you can't hate somebody and love God at the same time. You're probably not even saved if that is the case. And we need to point that out. <clears throat> so there are these dishonest teachers. In verse 2, it says, such teachings that we just referred to come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So the characteristics of those who have abandoned the faith that teach these doctrines of demons who listen to these spirits which are out there that should not be listened to, they they follow these deceiving spirits. Now, as I mentioned previously, the televangelists, I believe they follow deceiving spirits. They listen to that which ought not to be taught or paid attention to. I'm going to uh, give you a little story. When I was in seminary, I mostly didn't like it because I was always arguing with the teachers. I I had been a Christian for a long time. I, I wasn't entering it into seminary to make that my profession. I was already in ministry. I had already gone through several years of discipleship. I knew what I believed, and some of the teachers that came in were just absurd. I made one so mad, his face turned red. He pointed me, pointed, he came right up to me with his finger pointed out like that and started yelling at me in the class, and I just listened to him. Uh, And that happened to be that I said, you can see God in creation. It says that you can see his handiwork. It says that in Romans and in Psalms. And I pointed that out to him, and he just blew up at that time. He he was a uh, neo-Orthodox theologian, was helping the worldwide church of God come out of their cultish behavior, but I think he was just leading them into another direction. And I even complained uh, to the dean, but the dean didn't listen to what I had to say. And so we we just didn't get along. His name was McKenna, by the way. He came from Fuller Theological Seminary and was teaching at Azusa. And so I disagreed with him. I love theology. Dr. Donald Thorson was just fantastic. I mean, he just gave theology pure and simple. This is what it was. I love that. Then there's ministry in the 21st century that was given by the dean of theology. Hated that class. I hated it. I'd write papers, got the worst score in the papers because I held to particular doctrines. One of them was what we've just gone through, that women aren't supposed to be elders, teaching elders, pastors inside the church. And he said, well, you should talk to some of the women in the church. I've told you this story before. Or some of the women inside the class. So I did. And the women inside the class said, no, clearly says in scripture that women aren't to to be pastors. I went back and told them and he didn't change my grade. He still gave me the C plus or C minus on the, the paper. And, and so I disagreed a lot with those guys. And there was one in particular who was teaching biblical counseling. It was anything but biblical counseling. He started going into psychology. And by the way, the psychology, the field of psychology, there were five men who really are considered those who found, 
founded psychology. Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, William James, Ivan Pavlov, Alfred Alder. Pavlov, maybe you remember Pavlov's dog, where they rang the bell every time they get a little treat for him to eat, and the dog would start salivating. So this guy's ringing the bell, giving a treat, and watch the dog salivate. He's trying to control the behavior of the dog. Pretty soon he'd just ring the bell, and what would the dog do? Salivate. He wouldn't even give it anything. It would just salivate. And so uh, I told somebody who's sitting in here this week that the goal of psychology is to predict and control behavior. That's the goal. So if you are a psychologist, that's what you're looking to do. Predict and control behavior. Now, psychology is used in every aspect of our lives, and I bet you don't even know it. It's used in everything. Advertising. They spend billions of dollars trying to figure out how to get you to buy something that you wouldn't normally buy. You deserve a break today, right? I did it my way. All of these little slogans and jingles that they come up with, they're designed to get you a favorable view of their product that they want to put on you. For instance, you go to the supermarket. Next time you go to the supermarket, I want you to know that everything that is at eye level when you walk in there, that space has been paid for. Because they know the first thing you're probably going to do is look at eye level and purchase that which is at eye level rather than something that is at the bottom. For instance, if you walk in and you get the Albertsons brand green beans, they're probably going to be lower on the shelf. You're going to have El Monte green beans right in your face because they pay for that space is what they do. Same thing with uh, razors. The razors will be right at eye level. Or when you check out, there is the last minute buy at checkout. I just did this yesterday. I went up to a a place, uh, the tractor place over there. I had to get some stuff to fix a hose. And I'm standing in line and I looked at, oh, look at all these snacks. Mm, Am I hungry? And I just said, yes, I'm hungry. And I had a choice. Well, which one do I want? And I could get some caramel corn. I I could get some cheese popcorn. and, And I could get these little twisty pretzel things with honey mustard and salt and sugar and a, yeah, I'll get those. And I did the last minute purchase. I hated them. They didn't taste good, but I walked out there and it was a psychological thing. And people pay for that spot at the register to get you to buy. What about tech advertising or tech censorship? I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. I was at home and I was, I had a, have a compressor and on that compressor, I fill up some tires and I'm thinking to myself, you know what I could use? I could use a coil for the hose on the compressor that I can mount to the wall and I can just pull that thing out and I can air up the tires. That would be really great. Said nothing to anybody at all. Two weeks later, what comes up on an ad? A coil for a compressor hose. And I I just about fell over. How did they know that? I didn't say that to anybody. I only thought it. And there it is. It shows up. 
I did not look at all. Never, never looked at it online. Now, I, I have a theory. I have a theory how this happened. Yeah, I, I started to do the same thing. Okay, did I ever look at one of these things? And, you know, did, did I look at any compressor parts or any of that kind of stuff? None of that. I didn't look at any of that. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, how does that happen? Well, I turned the compressor on. And I'm thinking, did my phone listen to the compressor? Google interpreted that and said, well, he might like this. And I'm thinking, wow, is that psychology and algorithms or what? And that's the only thing I can come up with. I don't know. But psychology is used in tech advertising. I once looked for some uh, sound barrier material that I was going to put up here. For the next three months, I had it coming up. And it was coming up as an advertising thing. You guys, I'm sure, have experienced this. They use this in advanced economics. They teach this at Berkeley, psychology in economics. I actually talked to a guy that got a doctorate degree at Berkeley, and he told me, this is what they teach you, the psychology of economics. That's why uh, I think it's Morgan Stanley. They have never had a down year because they use psychology in their training. They are their trading. They know what they're doing with this. Or what about do you think psychology is being used in the distribution of the COVID vaccine? You bet it is. It's being used because they want everybody to be a part of the vaccine push. Now, whether it's good or bad, that's another discussion for another day. But they're using the psychology. Do you think the news outlets use psychology? Do you, do you think that they're choosing the right words, making the right backgrounds, putting the right colors on there? They are doing all of that. Now, with that, the class that I had, biblical counseling, it was anything but biblical. And I was sitting pretty close to the young professor. I don't even think he was 30 years old. And I asked him, excuse me, I have a question. What did the church do before psychology was invented? Of course, we have hundreds of years of no psychology until Freud and Young and James and Pavlov came along. I said, what did we do? He turns to me and he says, the question is irrelevant. And he turned back around and I look at all the other guys in the class and we're all, you know, most of us are Calvary Chapel going, what, what kind of answer is that? It's irrelevant. And so I, I, I just knew something was up the way he was teaching it. Now, I've had psychology. I've had the courses. I, I actually really enjoyed my psychology class that I had was with Mr. Wade. And I benefited from it a lot. I had to write a paper. I, I left and moved to Hawaii. I came back and I was able to finish the class by writing a paper. And I wrote it on death and dying. And it was based on a book by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who studied death and dying. And she goes through the stages of death and dying, how there's uh, disbelief and rejection and acceptance and all of that. She goes through all those stages. And I thought it was really good, the diagnostics of what we go through. Now, I, the problem I have with psychology is the remedies. But what about the people of psychology? And let, let me go back, back up a step. The reason I'm bringing this up is psychology is pervasive in the church. It's everywhere inside the church. 
there have been programs developed to counter that. Um, counseling God's way is one of them. Now, I don't necessarily agree with everything that they teach. I've listened to some of their stuff. But there's also Jay Adams who teaches biblical counseling as opposed to the psychological counseling. And I, I think that for the most part, that is good. Anybody who knows the Bible well can provide biblical counsel, and that is good. But what about the people who are behind the field of psychology? Well, as I was doing some research, I listened to one message. It was a good message. It was a long message, about an hour and 48 minutes. And this guy was talking about the field of psychology and its incursion into the church. And one of the people that he mentioned was Carl Jung, spelled J-U-N-G. And Carl Jung was a... uh, necromancer I don't know if you know what a necromancer is also Bill Wilson who founded Alcoholics Anonymous was also a necromancer talk with the dead now Carl Jung he wrote seven sermons to the dead while in a trance and he summarized it in what's called a red book and he communicated with a spirit called Philemon he believed in the god Abraxas who is higher than the Christian god And he did all of his psychological work being influenced by demons. And this has made it into the church. And the person I was listening to started listing off a dozen things that are just like red flags. Watch out. And the same psychology, what they teach to predict and control behavior, is in the church. And the church is the one who gives the most references to psychological counseling in the world. It is the church that does it. And while I think I have benefited from psychological training, a little bit of it, I don't have a degree in it, but I understand its pitfalls. And I always said while I was going through seminary and and through college that uh, psychology is great at diagnosing what issues are because they study the issues and they just gather the facts. It's the remedy that they have for whatever ails humans or how they try to control behavior. And I believe at the root of this is doctrines of demons. And that would be Carl Jung. He actually listened to demons in order to perfect his views of psychology and what he taught. And so we have to be careful. Uh, These men and women who teach this, they're in the Christian universities and in seminaries and they're in churches. And we just have to be careful. We have to understand the difference between biblical and uh, worldly counsel what the Bible has to say and make sure that we are not buying into the doctrine of demons. Now, these people who teach these things, they hold to the demonic doctrines. Uh, They are hypocrites. They teach practices for others that they themselves will not follow and that they do this for personal gain or satisfaction. They tell you or teach you to do one thing But then they do not consider that one thing viable or efficacious or beneficial to themselves. And they don't practice those things. And God tells us, I'm going to say it in the vernacular of our day, practice what we preach. Now, is anyone perfect at that? No. And and I also want to let you know that every pastor who is out there will preach above himself. That whatever sin he may preach about, probably guilty on some level at some time ask me if I've stolen anything well no I haven't done that one but everything else I've probably done no I, I've stolen stuff you know I, I admit that it hasn't been lately or from the church 
God willing. You know, but I, I just, I know that it's wrong. I know that it's wrong to murder all of those things. But I could have been a murderer in the past, and I've repented of that. But I haven't been, by the way. But this, this idea that a pastor or a teacher is always going to preach above themselves, because we're preaching Christ. We're pointing to him. He is the one. We're not to look at the individual who gives you the information. The, the messenger is always fallen. The messenger is always corrupt. If you look at the Old Testament, the leaders were always corrupt in some way. Moses, a murderer. King David, a murderer. The only one we really don't have any sins listed. Actually, I think that there are two. One is Daniel. And one is, do you know the other one? Joseph. We really don't have the sins listed. Everyone else, sinful to the core. Pagan, heathens, you know, whatever you want to call them. They were terrible. And God says, that's okay. I love them anyhow. I'm going to save them anyhow. They're going to communicate my word even though they're not perfect. And so you have to keep that in mind. But these hypocrites are, now I don't believe it for myself, but it's good for you. They are also liars. There will be people that will tell you things that are just outright falsehoods, making up stories Things have never happened just to get you to change your particular view. They're using psychology on you. And they have become desensitized to sin. In other words, their consciences have been seared so much by prolonged activity and participation in sin that they do not feel any guilt whatsoever in involving themselves in that particular sin. Now, somebody who sinned, who is caught in the sin, will have the guilt. It will be there. They just feel caught that they have no way out. But these particular false teachers who are here that hold to demonic doctrines, who listen to deceiving spirits, they don't have any walls up to prevent them from sinning. As long as somebody doesn't find out, they're just going to be A-OK. And this is all dealing with those in the latter times. And the latter times are the times in which we are living. There are also other um, church movements. Now, the, the last one, the big one that was out there was the emergent church. They were following Jesus in the way that he lived in a right way. And we should do so. We should follow Jesus in a right way. But believing the right things isn't so important. And that's what the emergent church will push also eschatology this idea of building the kingdom of god on earth and not paying attention to what lies ahead i don't know about you but for me i look up i'm ready to go i'm done with sin i'm done with this way of life and the world and its system and uh, you know as you get older i think you become more sensitive to if you're following Christ, you become more sensitive to the failings of the human race and it causes you to grieve on the inside and you see how people, I've seen people make so many decisions over their lives that are just so hurtful and harmful and destructive and yet they continue to make them and you can, I'm sure you've done the same thing where you give counsel to somebody and you say, don't do this and they do it anyhow and they just say no I'm, I'm, I want to do this I, I think it's okay to hold to this belief and to do this particular action and the, the what they call the post-modern era and you can look up all of these words but they don't like the cold hard facts so much they just like what feels warm and fuzzy 
and in a subjective manner, not objective, they look at the world and they say, well, this is how the world should be. This is what we should do. Now, that has morphed into the critical race theory and the wokeness and everything that we have today. And there's this dividing of the races. And that's where we are now. And that is creeping into the church. And we need to wholeheartedly reject all of that. And I love these little stories. I, I listened to a nine-year-old speak in front of a um, school board meeting. And the school board meeting at one particular uh, meeting they had prior to the one that this boy spoke at, they said, no politics in school. And so in his school, he saw that there were BLM posters put up all around the school. And so he went to the principal and said, why are the BLM posters up at the school, at the school board meeting? They said there's going to be no politics in school. And the uh, principal basically communicated, no, this is what we're going to do. The board said so. And the nine-year-old corrected him and said, no, the board is the one that said no politics in school. So he went to the board meeting. And he said, how dare you put up politics in school? You are the ones that said no politics in school, and you paid for these posters, and you put the... The guy was great. I was like standing up in my truck listening to this kid talk at the school board meeting. It's like, we need more people like that to talk like that, to get rid of all of this stuff. You know, I still think even that is doctrine of demons to separate people to create this divide between the races. There's only one race. It's the human race. Even saying that would get me cast off of YouTube if I was on YouTube. That's not allowed. That's censorship. That's the psychology there. People aren't allowed to hold those opinions. And so this is what the false teachers following the deceiving spirits, teaching doctrines of demons, that's what they will do. They don't hold to the pure doctrine, the milk of the word. And so there are teachers who also teach doctrines such as the avoidance of pain. They exclude sin and repentance in their teaching. They are happy teaching about wealth and how that can be yours. And if you are blessed, clearly God has done that. Do you think Satan has blessed anybody with wealth in this life? Didn't he tempt Jesus with that? That he would give him all the kingdoms and wealth of the world if he would just bow down to him? certainly that is the case and those who have the gift of giving I think God makes them wealthy for a reason and they just keep on giving away the money and God keeps on bringing money into them to give it away and and so these false teachers who are out there I equate them with what scripture says people will gather to themselves having itching ears teachers that say what they want to hear They don't want to hear that we are sinful. They don't want to hear that there are no good persons. They don't want to hear that we are in need of a savior. They don't want to hear that we are under judgment. But the good news is all of that is washed away if you just accept Christ. But they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that Jesus is God and that he has a plan for redemption and that he loved us so much that he died for us. They don't want to hear any of that. They want to practice their lifestyle, their sensuality, their, their false doctrines, their doctrines of demons, all of those things. They want to do that rather than submit to Christ. And so to apply all of this, we know that verse 6 says, If you point these out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed. So he commends Timothy 
for holding on to the basic doctrines of the Christian faith and how he needs to speak up and oppose those who are teaching anything that is not of sound doctrine, opposing the false teachers and the false teaching. So although this was written to Pastor Timothy, it's good advice to all of us. Uh, We need to be aware of who the false teachers are in false doctrines. Now, if you pay attention to Christianity at all, just how it's moving throughout the world, I'm sure you have in mind some false teachers and who they are. I would say establish that in your mind. Do some background checks. Is somebody truly a false teacher? I can tell you this, that if somebody is promoting and getting lots of money and God will bless because of money, I can tell you right away they're a false teacher. We know that Paul told Timothy that some think spirituality is a means to financial gain. And that is a false teaching. That is a teaching of demons. It is a false doctrine. And so have those people in mind. Know what they teach. Know what they're um, trying to propagate inside the church. And, and study up on critical race theory and the wokeness which is out there. Know what that is and see it and recognize it when it comes into the church. And be like the nine-year-old boy who's willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. You need to change the behavior. And there's a few people doing that out there. And Lord willing, all of us will be able to do that. Now, you want to be able to use scripture. And when it comes to using scripture, you may not be able to quote it verbatim. That's okay, but you need to know what it says. And you need to practice using it. Now, I'll close with this. Sometimes Patty and I will go back with scripture in a light way, in a fun bantering way. For instance... I will say, don't you know that scripture says that you're to submit to your husband? And she will turn to me and say, don't you know that you're supposed to love your wife? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. You know, so we, we go back and forth like that, or I'll say, well, First Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says the same thing, that wives are to submit to their husbands. And then she will say, Ephesians 5 says that Christ died for his bride. Die. You know, so we'll, we'll go back and forth like that in a light, bantering way. Now, she may not use the exact address, and I may not use the exact address, but a lot of them will, will just be able to quote back and forth to each other. And then she gives me a hug. She says, I'm submissive. And I said, I'll die for you. And, you know, and then it, it all ends in that way. But I, I just want to make sure you're fellowshipping enough to where you can go back and forth with the scriptures, where you can test each other. That's why fellowship is so important. May God grant you the grace to take out of the, your lives the things that so easily hinder you in following Christ, studying his word and experiencing the fellowship. And Lord willing, you'll be able to accomplish this through the help and assistance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you that Timothy was faithful, that he followed the things that he was taught early on. And you provided not only by your spirit discernment for him, but you gave him a wise teacher. I'm so thankful for Paul that you called him, Lord. Obviously, you knew exactly what you were doing. And I pray that we could be like Timothy, take Paul's advice that you gave to him, that we might be those who stand firm in the faith, able to lead others to salvation, and wield the sword that you have provided for us in an elegant and an effective manner. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.